welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right, friends, if you want to find your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn, turn to John chapter 16. That's where we will be this morning. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, New Testament. My name's Micah, if we have not met. I'm the lead pastor here at Awaken. Uh, so glad that you made it. This morning, we are in a series entitled Wells and Fences, so if you're new, that explains the fence and the well here in the front. Uh, this is a series that we are doing, which is asking an important question about what kind of community we want to be. This certainly has to do with what we believe, but I, I would say more than that, it has to do with how we hold the beliefs that we hold. Uh, we have talked about two different ways of operating as a community. You may have heard these phrases or these terms, but if not, we've got a little graphic here I want to throw up there. This is a, the difference between a bounded set and a centered set. So this is review for those of you who have been here. But on the left is a bounded set. And in a bounded set community, the, import, the question that's most important is, do you believe what we believe? Do you believe what we believe? And often that is the gateway uh, to entrance into a community or the, the means by which one determines who's in and out and how you get in or, or how you get out. Uh, in that case, rather, or conversely, on the other side of that, opposing that, would be a centered set, another way of being a community. And the most important question in a centered set community is, are you thirsty? Uh, what is of great import is what is in the center, what's in the well, so to speak. And so at Awaken, we're making the claim and uh, uh, proposing the idea that we really want to be moving towards a centered set community and what that means. Uh, this is how we hold the beliefs that we hold. It, Beliefs are no less important, but the way in which you hold them, arguably, is different. And so we're saying that in the center of this community, and I, I would argue that any Christian community is the life and teachings, death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the one who came and died uh, on a cross and was resurrected. And so uh, we have looked at a number of affirmations in the last few weeks that are at the center of this denomination we're a part of, the Evangelical Covenant. Uh, which have kind of served as a well for the covenant in, in a lot of ways. We've looked at the centrality of the scriptures, that the Bible is, is, we affirm the centrality of the scriptures, we affirm the necessity for new birth. We talked about last week, and this week we're talking about a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. We affirm that a dependence on the Holy Spirit is necessary for a life of Christian faith. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, I'd invite you to stand as we read God's word, and this is starting in verse 7. From John chapter 16, Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Pray with me, if you will. God, we thank you for this text, for uh, this passage we've read this morning, but also this story that we find in the scriptures about you and who you are. Uh, God, I pray that um, 
you would surprise us this morning, that you would do something only you can do, that only you could take credit for. So for those of us who um, maybe have been hurt or have wounds from this idea or this um, spirit and the way it's been used, I pray that you would heal. I pray that you would open our eyes and turn on the lights to who you really truly are in all of your beauty, in all of your glory, in all of your love. God, move us, I pray today, one step closer towards who you've called us to be, who you've made us to be, who you long for us to be. In the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. The Holy Spirit. So in a book called Covenant Affirmations, this is what the covenant has written. We affirm, rooted in historic Christianity, one God as Father, Son, and Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I love this, continues the creative work of the Father and the redeeming work of the Son within the life of the church. It is for this reason that the covenant church has emphasized the continuing work of the Spirit. So this is a, a Sunday where we're going to talk a little bit about this idea many of you have heard of called the Trinity. You know that the Trinity is actually never mentioned explicitly in the Bible. There's no word Trinity found in Scripture. And yet, for um, hundreds of years, from the early church all the way up until almost 300, two, late 200s, 300s, the church was trying to figure out how to make sense of the fact that the Scripture spoke of God as one but in three persons, of which we now argue or articulate as Father, Son, and Spirit. And so the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, is the third person of the Trinity, this triune God of Father, Son, and Spirit. God is one and yet exists in three persons. So the Holy Spirit, I would suggest to you, is probably the most misunderstood and underappreciated theological idea in Christian faith. One of, if not the, most misunderstood and, and underappreciated ideas or theologies in the Christian faith. It's misunderstood for a lot of different reasons. Maybe you could share a story that's similar to this one, but I grew up in a very conservative church, so we were really, really keen on God the Father, really loved God the Father. I mean, a lot. And Jesus was really, really sweet. I mean, just all about Jesus. And then there was kind of this other person hanging around that we weren't really sure what to do with, right? Didn't really make an appearance on Sunday mornings, you know, um, we didn't talk about much, and so it was kind of like we were, we were dual, I don't even do entities. We believed in a, uh, two persons of the Trinity, but not three in some ways. And so um, my experience in church was very, uh, right, Scandinavian and Minnesotan. Like there was not a lot of hooting and hollering. Nobody really raised their hands. Uh, Never heard anybody speak in tongues. Never saw anyone slain in the spirit or any of the things that you might associate with the spirit. And so I go off to college. You know, this naive Minnesotan goes off to Colorado. And I find myself at this gathering. Um, my, at that time, friend, soon to be girlfriend, after a lot of hard work and pursuit, Laura. Um, <laughs> that's another story for another sermon. Uh, her roommate invited us to this, like, Bible study gathering thing. And so we, you know, we go. And it's at a hotel in Denver off of I-70 in Kipling, which should have warned us. But we show up at this place, and I got to be honest, gang, I had never seen anything of the likes of what was happening in this Bible study. 
People were, I mean, dancing around and speaking in tongues, which I had never, honestly, honest I'd never heard that before in my life. People were falling over. I mean, it was crazy. And for a like 18, 19-year-old kid who had never grown up in this, I was a little freaked out by that. Has anybody ever had one of those moments in, in faith? So I didn't really know what to, what to do with it or, or how to understand it. And I think for many of us, the Holy Spirit sort of gets put in this category of crazy town, right? Where we've seen sort of the, the, the edges, which I would argue is not sort of the base of the Spirit's work, but sort of the edges where the crazies hang out on either end. And that's what we kind of assume or associate with the Holy Spirit sometimes. Uh, it's, it's, for many of us, it was outside of our norm and we couldn't explain what was happening, and so it was just kind of weird. Um, but also, the work of the Spirit exists outside of the realm of things that we really care about when we talk about truth. For you and I, who live in a world that's dominated by and influenced by modernism and the Enlightenment and the scientific revolution, if you can't smell it, taste it, touch it, measure it, put it in a lab, then it's probably, and, and there's no data points to go along with it, how do you say that it's true? We determine truth and the veracity of something based on data. And if we can see it, taste it, touch it, smell it, put it in a laboratory. And the problem with this is the fact that the Spirit of God and the Spirit's work, by definition, is noumenal. It's phenomenal. It's, it's outside of the categories that we typically use to determine something's true or not. We can only bear witness to its effect after the fact or experience its presence in the moment. Right? If you remember the old Jesus Freak album, uh, I've never seen the wind, but I can see the effects of the wind. Right? We, don't, we, we can't see the wind, but we can see that the wind is present when the ripples on the water show up, or, the, or it fills our sails when we're sailing. Right? And the spirit is a bit like that. We can only say that it happened after the fact for many of us, or experience its power in the moment. But if you try to explain that to somebody, it's sort of, uh, it's like ineffable. There aren't words to describe these experiences that many have. Now, from Scripture, we could talk about all the things that we know that the Spirit does, right? According to John, uh, according to the, the passage we just read, it says that the Spirit of God convicts of sin and leads to truth. According to the book of Acts, we find that the Holy Spirit opens our, the eyes of our heart to actually see and experience the work of God through Jesus. In Ephesians, Paul says that the Spirit of God draws us together in unity as the body of Christ. We, sh we probably ought to pray for a little bit more of that. Romans 8 says that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf when we don't know what to say. Uh, it, it conforms us to the image of Christ. It says that the Spirit is, it dwells within the believer and empowers them to do things in the world or gifts the church. We get this from Galatians and Romans. And certainly we could take a lot of time talking about those things and the specific works of the Spirit that we see in the Scripture. But I want to take a little different route this morning. Um, I want to explore this idea of the Spirit of God from a little different angle. One that's a little less technical. I think it's a little bit more narrative. Um, and I think it's a little bit more Hebrew. It's a little bit more Jewish in terms of the way that the Jews would have understood the work of the Spirit. Ironically, the passage we just read in John 16, it's written in Greek. And in Greek, there's no masculine and feminine um, like connection to the words. But in Hebrew, there is. And so actually, we find, well, I'm not going to give that away, because that's, that's, just, that's just juicy. Um, so here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to go back to the beginning. In the scriptures, 
I've said this before, if you've been around Awaken, the introduction of something is absolutely essential. So when an idea is introduced in the scriptures or the word is first used in the text, that will often sort of shape the arc of that word's usage in the story going forward. So if you can understand a word's first usage and how it's used and where it's used and why it's used, it will help you understand where it's going in the rest of the text. So if you have your Bibles, open to Genesis chapter 1. And this is how it reads in Genesis 1, like the very beginning. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, the text says. So three things I want to sort of pull out from this this morning as we spend some time talking about and thinking about the Spirit, responding to the Spirit. The first would be this. I would argue, I would submit that the Spirit gives birth to new life. When the Spirit of God is active and at work, things are born. New things happen. And the way in which the words are used in this passage, they're absolutely stunning. So three words that are really important in the passage we just read. The first one is ruach. Ruach is the Hebrew word that's translated spirit. So when it says that the spirit of God was hovering over the water, the ruach is hovering, the, the, the spirit of God. Now, in Hebrew, you have to understand that a word often has multiple meanings. There's less words and more meanings. So it's harder because if you find a word, you have to determine its context to determine its meaning, right? So you should also know that this word ruach could easily and often is translated in the Bible, spirit, wind, or breath. So the spirit, wind, breath of God was hovering over the water. Now also, as I mentioned, this is the juicy detail, in Hebrew, the words are gendered. So when a word shows up, it has a, a, a gender connected to it, save one word in the text, and that's actually the name of God, Yahweh, non-gendered. Interesting, another sermon for another day. But all these other words, they have gender connected to them. So fascinatingly, the word that's translated spirit, ruach, is feminine. So all through the text, when that word is used and spirit is translated, or wind or breath, it's feminine. So the spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, one could argue, has a feminine nature. In fact, when, when wisdom shows up in the text, in, in Proverbs and in Psalms, it shows up as a woman. That this woman comes out to her door and calls to the streets to follow and to be wise and this sort of thing. So the, the, the wisdom in Scripture is personified as a woman even. So spirit is feminine. The spirit wind breath of God, the feminine spirit wind breath of God is hovering over the water. So the second word that's important is Elohim, this word God that's translated. And fascinatingly, you might guess this, but if you have the feminine spirit of God, the spirit, then you have the masculine word God. And I don't know about you, but I find this just beautiful. That at the very beginning, present at the first conception of all things, you have the feminine spirit and the masculine God together hovering over all that will be. All that will come forth as God speaks. Man, that's just good stuff, people. So beautiful. So beautiful. Now, the next part is even more important. What do you find the feminine spirit wind breath of God doing 
The third word is rachaf. And this word means to move gently, brood, or hover. In another passage, this word is only used three times in Scripture, and one of the other ones is Genesis, or Deuteronomy 32, and it says, As an eagle stirs up its nest, it hovers over its young, spreading out its wings. So close your eyes, if you would, for just a second. Go ahead, close your eyes. This is a, a real ask. I'm going to read this passage again, and I want you to imagine what you see. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the water. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Open your eyes. I just imagine like this sort of mama eagle wings, you know, like covering whatever is about to happen. Almost like incubating all that will be, caring for, nurturing, bringing forth that which is about to happen. Is it possible that the Spirit's work in the scriptures is like that of a midwife that enables new things to be born? When Laura and I were starting this journey of bringing life into the world, we decided, uh, I'm a little partial to this word midwife, we, we decided to go the route of midwives. And if you don't know what a midwife does, simply, they help new things be born. They assist in the bringing of life into the world. That's their job, that's what they do. And our experience with midwives, we're, we're evangelists for them. We loved the experience, because here's what we here's what we. Here's what we experienced and here's what we saw. The midwives that we worked with, they advocated for us. And they helped us advocate for ourselves. They gave voice often to what we couldn't say because we didn't know what to expect. These women uh, championed the strength of my wife and told her, you can do this. This is in you. You have the power to do this. They enabled a new life to be born. And when you think about the Spirit, and even what the Scripture says about the Spirit, what does Jesus say? That the Spirit will be your advocate. That the Spirit will, will speak for you on your behalf when you don't know what to say, Romans chapter 8. So I want to suggest this morning, as we think about the work of the Spirit, that the Spirit of God is that which enables and brings new life. Whenever there's new things being born in us and in our community, you can be rest assured that the Spirit of God is active and at work, midwifing, bringing forth, enabling, advocating. What I found even more beautiful was then to watch my wife turn around and do this for another woman whose baby shows up and comes to our little nursery. And people said of that experience that, she was a non-anxious, calming presence and spirit in the room. That's what midwives do. Is that not... And you find me a passage in Scripture where it talks about the Spirit's work and tell me that that can't... You couldn't argue that that's what's happening. That the Spirit of God is enabling, caring for, hovering over, bringing forth new life. So as you think about the work of God's Spirit in your own life and in our life as a church, what does it mean to say... That the work of the Spirit is that which enables new life to come forth. 
Secondly, I would say, from the beginning of the story, from the scriptures, we learn that the spirit animates flesh. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says that God breathes the breath of life, spirit, wind, breath, God breathes the breath of life into Adam, the first human, the human. And this person, or this thing, which was dirt and sort of a form, it says that he, be, he becomes a living soul, a haya nefesh. The spirit of God is that which animates flesh. Now, whether you understand Genesis as poetic and paradigmatic or as literal, is it possible that the spirit is the one that animates our bodies? Is it possible that without the spirit, these bodies become nothing more than flesh and bones? It's just a, a, a carcass. It's, a, it's a, a, a holding for something of essence, of soul, of spirit. What do we lose when we go into death? Not our flesh and blood, not our bones, but our spirit, essence, is what's lost as we breathe our last. Now, we have a story about that, that that is not the end. And in fact, spirit and essence is preserved in some way, shape, and form, which is, I'm just excited to find out how that all actually works. Aren't you? I mean, we have thoughts about what that's going to be like, and is it, you know, like, when you die, is immediately you're, you know, with... Like, time goes away, and then you're, it's resurrection, and you're, I mean, how's that all going to work? It's like, do you guys remember the show Quantum Leap? Yeah, Scott Bale, or whoever that guy was? Maybe. Anyways, that's going to be an interesting day. Whether you understand this as, as, as a poem, or, or paradigmatic, or as literal, spirit animates body. Without spirit, we have nothing more than flesh and blood. But with spirit, we get animation, we get life. And it takes on literal meaning, but it also takes on metaphorical meaning in the scriptures. People are literally resurrected from the dead, and there, and there are resurrections that happen again and again and again. New life is happening to things that are dead and dying. Script, spirit resurrects and heals things that are dead and dying. Spirit animates. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like this, but I figured since we're talking about spirit, which is this kind of esoteric idea, we'd try to bring it down to, like, today, in the paper kind of things, right? Uh, and I, I would say my, one of my experiences with this, where the spirit resurrected and healed something in me that was dead and dying, happened with, uh, and it's still happening on this journey that I'm, that I'm on, um, with regards to God as Father, Many of us talk about God as Father, and for me, that's always been a really difficult thing, especially later in life. There were things that I wished my dad could have given and didn't give, and so to talk about God as Father, for me, was a real jumbled mess. And I, I, if I'm honest, it created a lot of anger and a lot of bitterness in me that showed up in weird places and in weird ways. It came out sideways, I think. And it wasn't until this experience that I had when I went to Israel, where God and the Spirit, I would argue... Uh, resurrected and began healing something in me where for the first time in my life I sort of gave in and I said sort of like uh, I give God if you want to give me that gift of being a father to me for the first time I'm open to receiving that I don't know what that's going to look like or feel like or sound like or be experienced like but I'm open to that and one of the first ways in which God did that I was on a silent retreat at a place called Pachaman Terrace, this little hermitage place where you can go, and there are other hermits there. People, not crabs at the mall. 
And you sit in this room. I sat in this room for a couple of days, like totally silent, didn't speak to anybody, and essentially said, God, here I am. What would you say to me? What do you have for me? What would you want to speak to me? And so as I entered in that process and sort of shut off all of the ways in which we distract ourselves or I distract myself and was finally kind of in tune with my own spirit, my own heart, my own like self, I began to hear God speak in a way that I think the spirit was working. And what I heard were words that I had longed to hear for a very long time. And I have them written in my journal, which is in my bag in the back. What I heard God say for the first time, loud and clear as father, was, Micah, you are my son, and I am so proud of you. And I just began weeping, because I had wanted to hear that for a very long time. The Spirit of God resurrects things and heals things that are both dead and dying in us. The Spirit animates, it gives life to these bones. So maybe just a question for you this morning. I don't know where you all have come from. I don't know what you're going to. But is there any sense in which there's a resurrection that's needed? Is there something in your life that's dead and dying that needs to be resurrected, where new life needs to be breathed into an area, a part of your life? That's the work of the Spirit, friends. And are you open to that? Lastly, I want to close with this. And then we're going to move into a time of response. We sort of flipped this morning because we wanted to leave time to respond to what we're talking about. The work of the Spirit is not always sensible. It's not always reasonable. I mean, think about what happens in the Scriptures, right? People get healed. Demons get cast out. Has anybody ever been at one of those? It happens. I truly believe it. it and it, there's no words for it. People get resurrected from the dead, literally, and physically, and metaphorically, spiritually. People speak in tongues. Words of prophecy are given. Words of visions and dreams. This is what happens when the Spirit's at work. Uh, I remember praying for a, a girl in college. Her name was Krista. She had kidney stones, and a whole bunch of us gathered around her, and just naively and with faith, we prayed that she would be healed. And she showed up at the doctor the next morning for her little checkup before she had surgery, and the doctor's like, I don't know what to tell you, but they're gone. And we could go around the room and hear stories of those kinds of things happening. When the Spirit of God works, people get healed. I don't understand it. There's no theology that I can give you that will help you make sense of it. I can only say, see, I was blind. Remember the blind guy? He's like, I don't know who this Jesus guy was. I don't know what to tell you. All I know is I was blind, and now I can see. Come on, brother. Preach. When the Spirit works, it's like, it's not reasonable, and it's not sensible. And so for many of us in the room, and if I know this church well... For many of us in this room, there's a lot of critique. Often when we talk about the Spirit, the first thing that creeps up is critique or skepticism because we've heard and seen the edges and then we assume that that's the norm when the Spirit of God is at work. And I want to just say to you this morning that we cannot lose the work of the Holy Spirit or we lose what is abs one thing that is essential to Christian faith. And that has been true since the beginning from time when Jesus shows up and before that, heavens, God at work, it doesn't make sense sometimes. There's no reason, there's no rationale for it. We can only bear witness to it. So this morning, I want to close with this question. And it's as much for me as it is for you. I've been preparing for this week and I'm like, okay, I need to hear this. I need to be challenged on this. Micah, are you awake to the work of God's Spirit in your life and in the world. 
Are you even awake to it? If it showed up this morning, if the Spirit of God blew through those doors, would we even notice it? And are we open to it, friends? For many of us, this is a process of like reconstructing a faith that we can believe in and live in and stand in with integrity. And this one, I gotta say, we have to bring with us. I call it my theological yard sale. When I went to seminary, it all came out into the yard, right? And it was like, that's crap, it's gotta go. That, though, I have to keep that. This one, I'm still working on that one. The spirit has to stay. Can I get it? amen? So awaken. Are you open? Are you awake to the possibility that God wants to heal something in your life? Are you open? Are you awake to the possibility that God could do something miraculous that you have no language for and no way to explain? Maybe even today. Are you open and are you awake? Are you open and are you awake? There's a shop in, a coffee shop in California. It's got a big sign, blinking neon, open, awake. Are you open? That's the challenge that I felt the Lord inviting me to give to this church. Are you even open to the possibility of a work of God's spirit in our midst, in our day, in our time? God, do something only you could do. That's what I want. That's what I hope for. That's what I pray for. And that's what I invite you into this morning. I'm going to invite our music team to come back up and prepare for how we want to close this gathering. So here's what I invite you to. There's going to be two teams of people who are ready and willing to pray and bless. If you didn't know, in Scripture, a symbol of the Spirit's presence has been oil from the very beginning, all the way back. And so they have oil that they would be glad to anoint you with. And so I want to invite you, as we sing, uh, as we respond, are you open and awake to a work of God's Spirit? We're going to sing, because if you didn't know this, singing actually like draws us together in a way. Um, physiologically, we're all breathing at the same time, we're inhaling and exhaling, and there's this weird physiological thing that's happening when a group of people are breathing and exhaling at the same time. There's like an actual connection that's being built in this room when that happens. Did you know that that's happening when we're singing together as the church? Fascinating that that's how God would do that. So we're going to sing, and, a, and as we do, uh, my hope and prayer is that even spiritually, that God is just weaving us together as one voice, as one body. This is Jesus' prayer in John 17, that they may be one. So we will sing, and I invite you to sing with everything you've got. There are going to be people to pray with you. If you'd like prayer as you come up, you can share with them what it is you want prayer for or about, or just, just say, would you pray for me? They would be glad to. They also have a blessing that we've written to just offer to anyone who would receive it today based on what we're talking about with the Spirit. And you could just say, I'll receive a blessing, and they'll bless you. Um, the prayer space over here is open and available. It's always open. <laughs> Are you awake? You can write on the walls your prayers in there. It's, you can be alone, whatever you want to do. This church, it's hard to get you to move sometimes. Um, we're not movers. I don't know why. Maybe I, we've thought about why, but I don't know. So this is, this is your friendly neighborhood pastor this morning giving you permission to move about the cabin. 
And should you feel God's spirit moving in a particular way, and you want to follow that, no one will judge you. No one will think you're weird. They'll just know that you're responding to the spirit of God. And we celebrate that. We welcome it. So move about the cabin. Pray with me, if you will. God, Holy Spirit of God, move in this place in a way that we can't explain, in a way that we maybe don't even have words for. Together, collectively, as much as we can, we say we are open and we're awake to what you might say through one of these songs, through a moment of silence, through a prayer that's offered. We're open and we're awake. So just for a moment, before we sing, before we respond, take a moment of silence, hear God's voice, respond in whatever way you think God is inviting you to respond. Just a moment of silence before we sing. God, here we are. And here you are. Speak to us now, we pray. Would you pray with me as we close? God, here we are. And together this morning we declare, we say, as a community, do something only you could do. God, revive our hearts, revive our neighborhoods, restore the places that are broken in our lives. God, we're open. We want to be awake to the move of your spirit. So would you blow through these walls in our lives, in our hearts, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities, God, so that the healing and the restorative and the generative love that we have found in Christ would become more normal, more natural in our lives and in our world, we pray. In the strong name of Jesus and all God's people, the church of Jesus said, amen. Amen, amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakeningcommunity or on Twitter at awakeningcommunity. See you next time.